Yeah. Man City lose here whilst they're not competing. Did get yellow carded very early on in the match for being a bit too eager coming out of her goal and taking out, I think it was Leah Carlton. But, uh... <laughs> Subscribe to the OTV Koyig pod on the OTV Sports app now. Rugby on Off The Ball. With Vodafone, main sponsor of the Irish rugby team. We all belong to the team of us. Now then, you're very welcome back. Happy to say Mr. Brian O'Driscoll is in studio. Good to see you. You're very welcome. Joe, welcome. I'm, I'm going to say welcome back to you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> uh, so after the roar. So mm-hmm. this is uh, Friday, 10 o'clock, BT Sport 1. Well done. Yeah. Documentary goes out. Uh, something I suspect you've been working on for a long time. Yeah, I think that, well, obviously going back to the initial ideas, it was probably three years ago. Um, and then COVID obviously um, stole the whole process. You know, the first interviews we did with Michael Checker was literally two weeks before first lockdown in 2020. But yeah, you know, there was all the storyboarding that was going on before that. Um, but I guess the initial concept came from lots of conversations between myself and Craig Doyle on flights and, you know, in hotel rooms waiting for shows with BT. And, he, you know, he's a bit of an idea machine. And and I talked about the difficulty around, you know, retirement. And, and you know, there might be this, sometimes there's this social media perspective of how someone's carrying on and th- there's, um, visually from the outside, it looks as though it's, you know, walk in the park, but yet there's, I think everyone and all my ex-teammates that I've talked about, to almost to a man, everyone has f- found some difficulty in varying forms. And so we decided that was the initial concept and then it was fleshed out, with, you know, I'd be first to say, obviously our production company is involved, but, but BT Sport Films, you know, were an integral part of putting the whole process together. So it was a real joint um, production. And and one that I, it was a real, it was really out of my comfort zone. You know, first time showing certain vulnerabilities. You know, sitting on a psychotherapist's ca- couch with Rich- Richie Sadlier, who I'd not met before. Um, like the nervous energy around that. And then you know we got some really great contributors that were very honest, frank, and open about their experiences about how they feel now and. Obviously, we focused on male sportsmen because it's it's intrinsically linked to, you know, the crisis in mental health amongst men under 50. You know, we talk about it suicide being the biggest killer in men under 50, which is a frightening statistic. So it's just such a, a an issue in society in general that men's inability to feel as though they have someone to talk to, talk their problems through. So it was kind of a a subplot of that overall issue that that society is now currently feeling. Mm. I really enjoyed it, by the way. I thought it was great. Thanks. Yeah, thoroughly enjoyed it, because I'm sure you're very nervous now to put this out and see what people say, and I thought it was so good. Totally, and I think when you put yourself out on a limb and you show your vulnerabilities, like the last thing you want is for it to then flop, you know, because you've given a piece of yourself that maybe it would be easier to hold back, to bottle up, but I think... Not dissimilarly to the last documentary we did on on Irish rugby, um, shoulder to shoulder. I, I think you've got to put yourself out there a little bit and do things sometimes that you know, challenge you, that make that are hard, that you're unsure about. Because um, that, that, do you know what? That makes you feel alive, and and a little bit of that is the feeling of what it was like playing 
international rugby and the nervousness around potentially messing up or having a bad moment there's there's a there's a heightened energy around that being in your subconscious well as michael checker said to you you acclimatize to being an adrenaline junkie yeah. just to get a smidgen of that when you're nervous and doing this documentary must uh, be an old familiar feeling. Uh, you say at one point in the documentary, from the outside, my retirement looked easy, but in truth, I had my struggles. So what did Brian O'Driscoll's struggles look like? Um, I think it's just, you know, I think you you kind of fool yourself for the first few years. So the great thing about your first year is you take advantage of all the things that you weren't able to do, the parties, the trips away, the invites. Um, and as I said in the, in the documentary, I, I couldn't get out of the game quick enough because I knew that I was really struggling physically, mentally still sharp, physically. I just couldn't do it the way I wanted anymore. And it was a great frustration. Um, so to be able to get out on a high, you know, winning in Paris, winning Six Nations in Paris, um, people kind of feeling as though there was more in you. I was like, wow, this is the first, you know, best case scenario. Um, and then it, it probably doesn't really land on you. It's not even that next September when everyone starts again. It's it's maybe nearly a full year and uh, you've enjoyed all the trappings of retirement. And then all of a sudden they're all great and lots of fun and, you know, Wimbledon and all the different things, events you might be going to, but the, in reality, none of it compares to international um, rugby. You know, running out in front of your home crowd, in front of, you know, being um, away fans in Twickenham or in Cardiff or further afield. It's such a unique, exhilarating experience that there's no, hmm. there's no chasing that. And you, you kind of, not that I even tried to find it, but you're trying to compare you know, a, a like for like in what you're doing now in, you know, TV or radio and 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 it's it's not. You just can't ever find that. And so it takes a while for you to park that and realise there's there's no point in trying to actually find a commonality. So, so that period then, that first year, you might have had a false hope then that I might find something that gave me a bit of the same buzz mm. that rugby gave me. Yeah. So you must have had periods where you might have walked out of television studios or walked out of an off-the-ball studio or walked away from something you'd done, be it Wimbledon, and in the car home thought, yeah, that doesn't actually do it. You must have had those horrible realisations. Yeah, yeah, loads of times. Yeah. When you do have a good show, don't get me wrong, it's a, it's a great feeling. It is, and there's some things that I over the last eight years I've enjoyed way more I, I, not just because I'm on the show now but I, I've always loved coming in here it's gotten me in trouble sometimes which has been has it had its own um, you know stresses but I've really enjoyed the freedom of being able to kind of just chew the fat here so that that's kind of high enough on my list um, but there's other things that definitely felt a lot more um disappointing mm. that you thought you were going to get a greater high from. And live TV can be exhilarating, you know yourself, um, because there's the same potential pitfalls of jamming on something or forgetting an individual. But like, it's not, it, yes, it's out of your comfort zone, but the reality was, that, you know, certainly in the early years, I was nowhere near as good at it as I was as a rugby player. And I was like, gosh, this is a disappointment. How do I get to that level? Mm. Can I ever get to that level? Mm. When was it most acute? If you, I, you want to call it your struggles. Yeah, year probably two, yeah, two and three, I think. 
And I think as well, you know, I really a second baby, you know, that year I retired, I, I would imagine it was cha very challenging at times as I was dealing with it all, you know, with, for, on my wife. Um, did she ever say to you it has been challenging? Uh, yeah, I think, uh, yeah, I think she did. Yeah, I think she did. You know, we can subsequently kind of look back and reflect um, on, you know, careful not to g give you <laughs> a headline, but um, on yeah, the you know the difficulty that you that everyone embarks in in kind of in in marriage, but this comes with, I think, my struggles with dealing with retirement and finding purpose somewhere else it wasn't anything to do with our relationship per se, but it was just it was my own my dealing with kind of some internal demons that made probably living with me quite challenging. Well, at you're times. half the relationship, so if you're not in a good place. Mm. That yeah. is it. She will do her level best to try and you know, do the 25% that's missing in you, but it's just no matter what, it's 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 going to impact. So, yeah, you know, I haven't really in, in, in the course of um, promoting um, the, the film, I haven't really talked about that, but that's the reality. It would have been, um, yeah, it would have been challenging at times for her. Hmm. How does that manifest itself, though? So there's a lot going on. I think you're it's in a bad place. I think it's mood, you know, down, down and yeah, just you know, kind of. You're, at you're times, a natural optimist, I would. Have I said. would be, yeah, I, and I don't. I'm I'm pretty level. The you know, I'm not excessively euphoric with the ups and and not overly down with the disappointments. Um, but I think it it manifests itself in just becoming a bit of a sloth, you know. Mm. Um, you know, not training in the first couple of years. I trained quite hard for six months after I retired just because the lads thought I was going to be big as a bus and I thought I'd better try and keep that away. And and then I just I kind of packed it in and had myself fooled and ate badly. And he probably, you know, not excessively, but drank a little bit more, you know, at times that you wouldn't have been able to as a, um, as a, as a professional. And then, yeah, like, just other than I was I was busy at times, but other times I'd just be kind of plodding along and really kind of struggling for major purpose. And then there's a eureka moment, but I, I talked about it. I think I talked about it in the in the show around um, going on holidays with my family and the catalyst of seeing an album my mum put together um, of of us. And I was disgusted at what I saw of myself, the ex-athlete. And so that really began as, as the major catalyst to probably get my act together physically and feeling a little bit better and going and training a little bit more. And then the positive snowball effect of that means you eat better, you drink less, you just look after yourself a bit more. I think you're in better form naturally. Yes, and then time with that time come, you know, does allow you to get distance from the game and and kind of enjoy the things the, the smaller wins, yes. you know, the you enjoy your family a little bit more, enjoy, stop comparing like with like. Yeah. I guess the tricky thing is you don't want to put a label on this, I would presume, like Donald McRae in his interview asked Jet Wright, would you class it as depression? And yeah. you, you, shy, you don't feel it was quite in that realm? No, it wasn't. I was never depressed. I wasn't. Um, but I was sad. I was definitely sad at times. Mm. And, and so I was never diagnosed, you know, with... with uh, being depressed, but it, 
I don't know what the borderline between it and feeling sad. I'm sure, listen, we all have highs and lows emotions and people feel sadness. God, no more than over the last few years has been really challenging. So I think, yeah, I like you said, I, I'm, I'm pretty level on my emotions. So as much as I was, I found it difficult, I was never... I never couldn't get out of bed. There was none of that. Right. It was never struggled to, I would struggle for motivation, you know, to exercise and to go and kind of better myself. But, um, and that took a while to just snap out of. Mm. Did people around you say you don't see yourself? Um, not really. I think you probably put on a good front, don't you? I think, except to kind of, to Amy and, um, and probably your, you know, your closest family, even, you know, you try, you probably try and protect them a little bit from it. I'm sure my sister who works with me, I'm, I'm sure it impacted her. I'm sure she saw it. Um, I know she did. Um, so, yeah, I think, you know, outside your comfort zone of home, you definitely put on a brave face. Um, and listen, I, I'm conscious as well of this is just my, you know, my navigating a d difficult path. There's, there's obviously far more extreme versions of it in society, but all you can talk about is the comparables between what people perceive your transition to look like, doing a great job and everything going great, to really finding it difficult at times. Even though I was doing some stuff that you know was, you know, putting food on the table and and keeping me going, it it. Um, it really kind of felt like it lacked the purpose that I'd had the previous 15 years. How could it not? I mean, really, how could it not? Yeah, but you don't... It's weird because you're looking forward to retirement in a weird way when you, when you end because you... Because you've done this for your whole adult life pr pretty much. And so you're wondering what that other side is like. So be careful what you wish for because it ain't as good <laughs> um, for a period of time. And then and the separation from it and time really does help. And and I think the envy of watching some old, you know, my my old teammates that I'd had great days with, go, you know, getting to play on. And I, I, could, I then it then made me think about those teammates that had gone before me that had not had, managed to win the European Cups and and the Grand Slam and all those things, what, you know, that must have impacted them as well. It just made me think about them a lot more because when you're in it, you're just so engrossed in what you're doing. You you know, a fleeting thought for someone that's that's moved on, but ultimately it's you're, you're such a vested interest in yourself and, and, and what you're doing and making the most of your time. And did you think, in, in, or do you think that having won Iron Cups and having won the Grand Slam and all the successes that you did have, did that make retirement easier or had no bearing? No, it did, for sure. Did. If I didn't have that, yeah, I'd be, I'd have been really, really disappointed in, I think I'd have looked back and reflected and being disappointed in a career that promised a lot but delivered, didn't deliver what I would have hoped. Okay. Um, and listen, you'll always look and go, maybe we should have had more Grand Slams, we should have won more Six Nations. I don't. I think we probably maxed out on the uh, for my time on the European Cups because just the timing of how we got our act together, um, you know, missing out on, on the victory against the All Blacks. Yeah, I can look back and reflect, and that's a real disappointment. Yeah. So it sounds like there was no. I think you used the phrase "big eureka moment" 
album of the holiday aside where there's a few pounds that have crept on but it doesn't sound like you went to see anyone which prompted you getting out of this or well not while not while that was no i I'd, i had preempted going and seeing someone um directly after retiring just because i i, I was definitely nervous i i'd seen some of previous teammates and and struggle and, and it would it was different with them because the time you know some of them retired around the downturn and you know so there were external factors um that impacted them as well so i i was kind of very mindful of of what i was what this was going to be like and so i preempted it by going and seeing someone and um yeah he was great and kind of just prepped me for normalizing yeah. the feeling around a bit of envy bit of disappointing missing you know um the purpose piece was huge, um, adding value in the new things that you're involved in to the same degree. So I suppose it, it, it probably softened the landing a little bit when I did feel a bit low that it's, I, I kind of thought to myself, this is very natural. Yeah. But then getting out of it, it was just time. Yeah, it was. And the training part was so huge, I can't tell you. And I, the reason I talk about it, it's not like I don't, I wouldn't flippantly look back and think that the album watching that like that that was a really important thing because Michael Checa had said something to me you know he'd said that the problem with retiring players is they they lose this identity piece and and the love of being involved in something they adore and then naturally they stop all the exercise as well or cut it down significantly so it's a double loss the endorphin release that they got on a daily basis is quartered you know more you know it, it, you know, you can go from training six days a week to maybe one, two, if you're lucky. Some guys do nothing, so like the it's a it's a double negative. And so when I spoke to him about that, I think that was probably that when I got back into training, I think he then said it to me. I met him for dinner a couple of years into retirement, and that really made sense that I I had to make that a big part of what I do. Well, I guess it's who you were, and you mentioned there that at your lowest period you felt like a slot. Yeah. Which goes against everything you've been. Yeah, it does. Yeah, it does. About just conceding to the easy decisions and, you know, um, and listen, the late night eating thing for everyone is is challenging. And I don't get me wrong, I still find the struggles these days, but I'm trying to get to bed at nine o'clock <laughs> to stop myself getting to the sweet drawer. But, um, but it's just, it's allowing yourself because you've no reason to stop it. You know, because you're doing, you know, the part, a big part of not doing, making those bad decisions is letting down your teammates. And then all of a sudden, it's much easier to let yourself down. You know, when it's just you on your own, and then, but then there needs to be something to, to stop you from that rot. Yeah. And and thankfully, there was you know a couple of those factors, particularly you know the the album that my mum put together. Haven't seen it for a few <laughs> years. <laughs> Did you feel lonely when you retired? As in, I've lost this group of lads. Not massively, because I, I have a good group of friends that have gone before me, you know. Um, like, yes, I'm pally with some of that crew that I left, but what dawned on me pretty quickly is a lot of them were teammates. Sure. Um, they weren't necessarily very good friends. The guys that I was I'm friendly with, I, I remained in contact with. I tried to be as gentle as I possibly could in my analysis, um, you know, without being disingenuous to my job. Um, because I, you know, there are friendships that I wanted to maintain, but in lots of cases, I, you know, th I realised the commonality was rugby, not yeah. necessarily friendship commonalities. But it strikes me. I mean, I, th I, I, I'm speaking for me. I suspect most people, it's hard to see your friends very often. Everybody's so busy. Whereas you've gone from, 
I, I, I accept your point about the distinction of them being teammates. But that said, there must have been days where your stomach was hurting from the laughter in that training room. So as, as well as the exercise endorphins, yeah, there's just the laughter. And yeah. suddenly, you're, gee, all that, I'm not laughing half as much as I used to. Yeah, I, like I, I, you do miss the dressing room. You do. Um, but I, that wasn't the, that, so many guys say that what that wasn't the big one for me. It was it was the Saturday was the big thing because um, training for me was a was a means to an end. It was all about Saturday for me okay. and and that that rush that you got and the build up to getting yourself prepped for that game on the Saturday or the or at the weekend. That was the exciting part and then culminated in getting to really um, do what you love doing in front of hundreds, thousands of people, more on telly. There was, yeah, there's a rego, real ego piece around that, I think, yeah. that you probably aren't as aware of when you're involved in it as, as, as when, when it's done. If you've just tuned in, uh, we're talking with Brian Driscoll because his new documentary is called After the Roar and it goes out on BT Sport 1 Friday, 10 o'clock. And my wife is on the Late Late Show, so it's going to be tricky for her to see it live. <laughs> <laughs> is she talking about it after the roar she, on the Late Late Show? She better be on first and there's 20 minutes slot then run into the green room. <laughs> I'm just conscious someone uh, tuning in might think we're mistakenly playing your retirement uh, chat here. Um, so the theme of the documentary is about retirement. You mentioned sitting in the, the uh, chair with Richie Sadlier opposite you. So. Um, this is, you know, this is interspersed. Your conversations with him are interspersed with these really brilliant interviews with lots of big names and not so big names who've retired in um, at different stages of their lives. And so at one stage, Richie Sadler asked you about something which I, I'd, I'd heard you talk about this before after you uh, retired. And I thought, this guy's on a hide into nothing here. And it was about the expectation you put in yourself to become world class at something after rugby, whatever mm. it may be. Mm. And he had similar thoughts. I got the distinct impression. And, you know, he, uh, he said, you know, how's it going for you? That ambition to be world class. And you said, mixed results. Uh, that it, remains the state, I think. <laughs> uh, that, is a, that is a crazy level of expectation to put on yourself. I mean, it's good to have aspirations. And it's like, I don't want to be mediocre, sure. But do you genuinely think that it's 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 a, a fair request of yourself to become world class at something post rugby. Yeah, I think you can be world class at something else. Yeah, I don't, you have to be world class at everything you do. Okay, okay, but but I think something. you could find something. And what's what's what back. are you closest to? Um, gosh, um, be a world class dad. Clutching at straws. That's not a bad answer. <laughs> Um, I, I, I don't know. I don't know what I'm closest to. I think I'm probably still a while away from, you know, anything from where I think the standards need to be of where I'm at versus where you need to get to to, yeah. to be put in, put yourself in that kind of category. So I, I don't think there's anything to go this. Mm. Um, I think I think some of the I think some of the energy that I give to some of the things that I'm involved in, the time and effort with with people, um, some of the some of the corporate stuff that I know that other people flag and tire. I think I'm pretty good at that stuff, and that might seem trivial to to people, but I know there's a reason that I do think that there's a reason that I've been involved with some of the companies that I've been involved with for you know seven, eight, nine, ten years is because I think I I hope I do a good job, and that's not 
trying to put on you know a, f- a fake effort mm. it's it's being interested and you know having time and and energy for everyone and anyone you never know when you're going to find the next really interesting thing mm. said to you so sometimes the last person that you talk to at night and i do think um i do think i'm pretty good at that where others have switched off that I can I can stay in that longer. Okay, because I I, mean, look, I I obviously know what you do at BT and here and uh, this production company, and then I see the occasional headline: investments here or doing this there, or you know, business interests at large. Mm. And I've no sense like is this guy on his way to his first billion, or is it just a fairly <laughs> normal life? Or in terms of like what's taken up the vast majority of your time? business is such a vague term what what are you working on or what yeah, like- I think there's lots of like there's no no two weeks are the same to be honest with right. you um like I do put a lot of time and effort into my analysis um I really do and people um people kind of see on a Saturday but you don't realize the hours that go into trying to analyze teams to understand what the triggers are for them when they're they have a scrum on the left-hand side and they set up a particular way or watching what the winger does. You know, that doesn't just happen fortuitously in a game where you go, it's repetition of seeing teams do that over multiple games. You know, trying to cut all of that up in um, in your analysis to, to, to be better informed. Uh, so that alone, you know, I've, I've got to watch an awful lot of rugby. I've got to w- watch all the provinces. I've got to watch a lot of um, Premiership rugby. I'm doing more with BT this year in the Premiership. Um, so that alone, and then I'm away, you know, tr- I can I travel a bit with some of my work with HSBC and some of the brands, the production companies now really starting to, you know, get some traction. Um, you know, I do um, some speaking engagements with um, Taneo that are based, you know, they're obviously based out of here, but London and, and New York. Um, my own speaking engagements. So, like, there's, I, I, I am busy. Yeah. I, it's not like, Hold on. I, I think I'm, bu- I'm a lot busier now than maybe I was the first well, years two and three when I w- had a chance right. to be a sloth. Right. Also, I've got three kids and a busy wife. So, yeah. it, you know, in the times that, Previously, you might have had a reason to feel sorry for yourself. It's hard to shy away from needing to make dinner or, or do homework and all that stuff. So, um, yeah, I, I, I do enjoy being uh, busy and all the bit. Like, sorry, that's not even to mention kind of the business stuff, the you know, it's a, the investment stuff or the startup stuff. I do enjoy trying to understand those businesses a little bit more. Meeting with, um, with you know, be it founders or. Um, just to understand where things are going well, you know how they can be improved, whether I can add any value to it. So, um, yeah, there's, like I said, I I enjoy the huge differing sides to what I do, mm. and I was gonna, you know, one of the businesses I'm involved in, they were looking for me to do a kind of a bigger role, and I and I went back and did like a bit of an autopsy on what I'm doing, and I and I just I thought I will not be able to play the odd game of golf or won't be able to do some of the things I want to do if I take that pressure on board as well which is a really good thing to do sometimes where you go and realise how much time you're giving to different things and but yet still have a life to be able to go and walk my kids to school when I'm home collect them from uh, activities bring them to football rugby and so that stuff is important too and I, I dare say you may just in that last moment there have answered the question about to ask but 
everything you've outlined there, that's that's more than most people. That's incredibly busy, full, very interesting life. And I, w- but I would have thought, do you have a nagging sense that if I was going to be world class at something, that you'd be looking at like what a certain Ron Nagara is doing and think that's something I know I could do really, really well. That itch has never come back. Um, no, it hasn't really. I, I think I do get a little bit of the coaching with TV and with and on this show. I really do. You know, I, I'm given way more of an opportunity here to really get into the minutia of what I'm watching in games. And so I think you're not coaching players, but you're coaching people that are listening to the pod or yeah. just informing them. So I get a little bit of gratification from that. The reality of being a full-time coach, I just wouldn't be able to do all those things that I that, that I am able to do, and the travel, and um, and you know, I'm travelling to South Africa now. I'm a rugby World Cup um, board member, so I go down to South Africa on Thursday, down to New Zealand later in the year. So, like, there's all there's that stuff as well. That other boards, the International Rugby Players Board, I'm involved in. So there's there's lots of other things and in the middle of reading the papers for my board meeting on Friday, probably should have done that a bit earlier than <laughs> the, the Tuesday of the week. But um, but I think the coaching thing, as much as you kind of, maybe you could really channel everything you have and, and, and get to a world-class level at it, it yeah. wouldn't allow me to to enjoy all of the other things that I do enjoy now. And I, I think I get way more satisfaction. The reason it's taken this long to do the documentary because I'm able to retrospectively look at having come out of some of the the darkness of retirement and speak a bit more openly and candidly about it because I don't feel it yeah. really anymore. That must be there's nice. still there's yeah. still times that I go, I don't think I'm ever not going to look down when all of my, you know, the John, Sexto include, when all of those guys that I played with have retired, I'll still in 10 years time, I think, look at a victory against England or France where you've rolled your sleeves up and gone, oh, wouldn't it be great to be there? <laughs> Totally. And I think that's a very healthy thing. That's a normal thing. It's more if Monday to Friday you're sitting around in that period, you know, in that feeling like a sloth and what am I doing? That's yeah, I, the, that, that's that, that, was a, that was of a time. It really was. And thankfully, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going at four o'clock and going training now with Stefan, who I train with most days. It's a really, really important part of what I do. So if you are going to, if I do have, I have days that, you know, might have be feeling a bit under the weather because I, you know, had a bottle of wine the night before, maybe too much to drink or whatever. And you kind of, you're on the be- on the couch and you are a bit slothy. To have that exercise piece in every day and to, le- whatever about, if you go training on your own, you can, you can switch that off and go, I'm not going today. But if I'm booked in with him, I, I can't let him down. I mm. think that's a really important hook for me to make sure that I don't kind of, reinforce negative with more negative. In this documentary, you interview, amongst others, A.B. McCoy, Gareth Southgate, mentioned Michael Checker, the boxer, Anthony Gogo, mightn't be a household name, but his interview is especially interesting. Uh, Richie Sadlier, you move away from the psychotherapy room and have a chat then over a coffee, for instance. Who did you find the most relatable there? Um, I I don't think there was necessarily and most relatable, there were there were aspects to each person that I really could, um, I was drawn to. Um, I think AP is so unique that it's trying, yeah. like, I, his sense of loss. I think the the 
missing the torture and the pain. I, I could get a sense of that. I missed, I do miss the hardship. I missed the losses early on because you know the feeling that you would have after a disappointing loss and the journey to, to, to the kind of more successful, be it win a game or win a trophy. Um, so I, I appreciated that. Anthony um, was captivating. I was really um, drawn to him as a person because it was such a conflict of personality versus his experience of what hand he's been dealt. Um, really kind of happy-go-lucky guy, but yet really feels hard done by with the, you know, the, the difficulties that he has had with multiple operations and that world title fight that he never got to achieve. So, but yet you know, a really good energy to be around. Um, and, you know, all of them were good. Johnny Bairstow was great, you know, talking so openly about, you know, the suicide of his of his dad when he was you know, eight years of age, seven years of age. And, um, and then Gareth, you know, to have a little bit of football stardust in there and, the, you know, the current English manager, manager, but also him talk about how he doesn't miss football playing I just couldn't believe that yeah. I was like a very there must be very few sportsmen and women that, that don't miss what they do um, and yet he's probably had a more successful career in the in the second part than he did as a, yeah. as a, as a player What's so striking about AP McCoy and he is just um, like intensely captivating you just can't take your eyes off him when he's talking and he is saying like unashamedly you're asking him about his records and the extent to which he's defined by his records and his 20 champion uh, jockey titles and the prospect of someone breaking that record comes up and he says I better be dead before that happens and you said like 20-30 years time he's like well if it happened in 20 years I hope I'm dead before it there's not a hint of irony mm -hmm. he's deadly serious so he is defined and like openly defined by who he was as a sports person to what extent do you feel that and what's it like as, as what you're defined by is increasingly in the rear view mirror like in another 20 years if we're talking about the hat-trick in Paris will you be like oh god well there's a few parts that I think I think all my records are going to be gone you know they will go someone will score more tries in my lifetime someone but will your, your record someone, is that you're the greatest rugby player the country's produced John, that's listen your, Johnny that's will go standing. Johnny goes and you know and it's not none of my business what people think of me or others or, or how they grade us that's none of my business that's their that's your perspective it's subjective um, but there might be a mass consensus that like how, how would you argue if Johnny Sexton was to go and win a World okay. Cup with Ireland and lead them to it that he yeah. wouldn't be the greatest and that's only listen not everyone far from everyone thinks that I'm the best that's, that plays give or so, take give or take give or take that's kind of your that's how you're defined that's how you're remembered that's how you're regarded is that is that's, that's you're kind of happy enough that that's how you're known forevermore ah oh, no I prefer to be second <laughs> or third <laughs> or, of course no but I, I mean like, go, like of course to be, if, to listen, be I, am I am I Rooting for Johnny to, to pass, yeah. I, you know, I'm, I can honestly say now, I'm now prepped for Ireland to win a World Cup, yeah. and and I would be a like a, as big a cheerleader. I think other the, the previous couple of World Cups, I was like, gosh, I hope I'm ready for this. Whereas now, I'm, you know, if if that happens, and and Johnny will have to pay a pivotal role, and. It, it would you could do worse than playing second fiddle oh, sure. to someone like him, but yet I do enjoy people going and saying nice things, and um, and some people will counter, and, and that's their prerogative. But I um, 
I don't think about it too much, Joe. I, like other than someone saying it to you, going, yeah. I, "I've loved," you know. But I do. It's not. It's not unpleasant reading someone saying one of the best yes. or the best. And to be fair, I, I phrased that question very clumsily. What I was actually getting at is, is as that becomes more in the rearview mirror. Mm-hmm. Does it feel like, because uh, I, I, I think when you talk about wanting to be world class at something else and do other things, it's that sense of I just don't want to be the rugby player for the next fifty yeah, years. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I think that's fair. Yeah. I think I think you don't. It, you know, the the more separation I get from my playing days, the less important it is to my association to being that rugby player. Because I do want to. You do want to reinvention. You want to be perceived as something else. It, I, but I'm at peace with the fact that if I you know don't do anything um, on that that's scale that, on that yeah. scale that you know what I gave it a serious crack and, and, and achieved something that not that many people get to achieve at that level for 15 years so I, I, I I'm not I'm not now craving the need to really um, impress people or or to to be um you know, on my tombstone, on my gravestone, to be, you know, not Ireland rugby player, yes. but, you know, businessman or entrepreneur or, um, you know, world-class pundit or, you know. It's whatever it it's is. It's whatever, yeah. you know. If, it's, if it is the rugby thing, I, I'm, I'm okay you, with that. Yeah, because Gary O'Neville was speaking recently in an interview and it, it just jumped to my mind because he was saying, like, when he retired, he was just like, I can't be Gary Neville, the football player. You know, mm. I've got to do something next mm. 10, 20 years. It's yeah. like an, an obsession. So I, I get I get it. I, and listen, I don't, it's not that I'm going to... I think I'm just... I'm, I, the sole focus isn't I've got to not... to shed that previous title. Right. It's I don't have that anymore. I don't have that. I had that initially. And I think that doesn't mean that I don't strive for to be, you know, to try and be at a... you know, achieve at a high level elsewhere. But... That's not the be all and end all. I hope that's not a real defeat, is that? Is no, it? I, I think it's I think it's really realistic and and like healthy. Because imagine spending the next forty years trying to like shed the rugby player thing. Yeah, like it's a party. It's a great party. Yeah, no, it is. And I and I you know, even you know the the last couple of days I've gotten got a really nice um, message today from. Uh, Amy's obstetrician Peter Boylan who's obviously in the news an awful lot really just, but like some really nice words from people when they read articles about it and, and he kind of talked about um, you know look back and enjoy the memories mm. they were phenomenal and like sometimes you lose sight of the, your, the next win What's, how do, what am I going to do to, to kind of to appease myself and to, to make myself feel a little bit better rather than be in a little bit more reflective mood of being able to go, that was pretty good. There were good days. Yeah. And you know, there'll be other great days that will come too. And some will be better and some mightn't be, but people will still always remember good days as you should too. You know, the, the European Cup wins, the first Grand Slam in 61 years. Um, so, you know, the Croke Park game in 07, those th- moments in isolation, they're historical. Mm. And so to have been part of that, it's nice to be able to look back and go, that was pretty cool. Yeah, enjoy it. Because, I mean, look, you probably spent a career lying to journalists saying, I on- I'll only think about that when Correct. I retire. So. You know, yeah, exactly. And, and then you don't. And then you become, yeah, it's very... Um, yeah, I talk about, I hope the guys that are playing now are enjoying it and not feeling next game focused. It's like maybe you should listen to your own advice, Brian, and and not tr- be trying to chase rainbows and actually be able to reflect and look back and go, there were good times. And that's why I enjoy. You know, people stop you in the street and go, I was in Paris, and 
I've had hundreds, maybe thousands of people say it to me. I was in Paris, like in 2000. I hope you don't mind me saying it. I was like, are you kidding me? That was one of the best days ever. Yeah. You know, Good. why wouldn't I want to talk okay. about it? Yeah. You know? So that's the attitude or, as opposed yeah, to... Yeah, or, um, or, you know, Northampton. Like, major, major moment in Irish sport to be able to come back from 16 points down. And, you know, I've, I'm blue in the face talking about Johnny's speech at halftime and then what happened and, you know, the catalyst to get that going and so on. But, like, what's not to enjoy about talking about those great moments and singing tonight's going to be a good night in, in a huddle and dancing like a dad? So Friday, 10 o'clock, BT Sport 1, Late Late Show. We're saying missable enough this well, Friday. you know, RT Player. Yeah, loads and, of options. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, and listen, I, I, I understand that not everyone has BT Sport. I, it will only be shown 147 times in the next three months on BT. So if you do miss it, I'm sure, I hope in time, our production company is in a position to be able to offer it to kind of other terrestrial TV. You might have to be patient for it. But if you know me and you're not going to pass on uh, the link, I'm sure I might be able to send it to you once it's played. OK. Uh, after the roar, Friday, 10 o'clock, BT Sport 1. Our rugby coverage is with thanks to Vodafone, main sponsor of the Irish Rugby team. We all belong to the team of us, everyone in. Uh, really enjoyed that chat. Thanks, thanks Joe. Cheers. Cheers. Rugby on Off The Ball With Vodafone, main sponsor of the Irish rugby team We all belong to the team of us